Thanks for listening to Beyond the Summit, a podcast by the Keene Seventh Adventist Church. We're in a new series called As It Is in Heaven on Earth. And it's a series focused on one of Jesus' most prolific teachings on prayer. It's found in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. We're going verse by verse, line by line, through the Lord's Prayer. And we're learning along the way about how and where heaven touches earth and how prayer changes our lives. Excited for what this series is already doing in our community. Let's dive in to today's episode. We are in our series, As It Is, our walk through what Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount in regards to prayer. What he asked for his disciples and those that were gathered him with him on that mount. And today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be looking at two verses in Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. And we're going to be in Luke 18 as well. So if you got your physical Bibles, you can go there. And uh, today, you did so well on the quiz last week. Uh, we're going to put Slido up on the screen again today. You did, you did well. So we're going to try it again. Uh, way to warm up this morning and percolate with our... Uh, with our topic and our message for today. I'll put five statements up on the screen. You can uh, do yes, no, or maybe on those. We'll keep that QR code up for a second. I see lots of phones coming out and uh, uh, scanning the code. You also can join online if you'd like to. You can go to slido.com, put in the code 114, because our address is 114 South Fairview, if you were wondering. Keep it fresh in your memory. Everybody got it or close to that wants it? Okay, QR code will still be up there, but we'll put the first one up on the screen. There we go. I struggle frequently with being disconnected with God. I struggle frequently with being disconnected with God. Let's see what you have to say this morning. Let some more results come in. Frequently is a strong word, meaning happening quite often. Disconnection is probably not something that any of us want. See, about 100 of us responding, 44% of the room says, I struggle with frequently being disconnected from God or feeling that. 37% of you are maybe, and 20% say no. Almost 50% now of the room say you, you frequently struggle with being disconnected with God. We're going to talk about that this morning. We'll go to the next one. Thank you to our media team today for putting these up. I strain to feel God's presence when I pray. When I pray, I strain to feel God's presence. How do you respond this morning? Let the results come in. All right. It's like yes and no are tied. About 100 of us responding again. Not the same results as before. About 40% of us in the room. Actually, it's flipped now. 40% of us say no. 37% say yes. And 20% of us are in the middle. All right, we'll go to the next one. Got three more for you this morning. God seems, I should say seems, God seems distant to me. God seems distant to me. Yeah, you're in there. 70, 70, 75% of us say no. Hopefully that means that he feels close. Two more for you. We'll go to the next two, the next one, and then the one after that. I long to know that God is with me even now in this place. I long to know that God is with me even now in this place. What do you say? All right, I have about 100 of us responding. 93% say yes. 
There's a small percentage of us that say no, and a small percentage of us that say maybe. So most of the room together on this, I hope and pray that you encounter God this morning. And last one, but not least, where we pray is important to God. Where we pray is important to God. And be careful, this may be a trick question. Don't change your answer, though. Don't change your answer. 130 of us responding, 80% of the room says, no, it, 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 is, it is not important where we pray. Well, we're going to look at a passage this morning that says it's very important where you pray. So if you answered no, you're not wrong, um, but we can meet after class today, maybe, right? <laughs> It's all good. We'll talk about it today. Thank you for responding. Hopefully this has uh, your mind percolating a little bit about the topic that we're going to be sharing today. If you answered yes to the first four questions about feeling disconnected from God, wondering about God being distant, longing to know that he's present with you, what if I told you that there's a place that you could go where you could receive daily affirmation of your value and identity? A place that you could go where you could lay your burdens down at the feet of someone and walk away knowing that you did not harm them and you didn't have to pick your burdens back up. A place where you could be completely at rest in the very presence of God himself. Would you believe me? Maybe. What if Jesus said that there was such a place? And what if he not only said it, but he also lived it? Could it be too good to be true? that there is a place that we could go to be completely and wholly ourselves and receive from God a blessing. There is a place, and Jesus modeled it. As we walk towards Matthew chapter 6, we first have to look at the life of Jesus and particularly his prayer life, what Jesus did for prayer. And as we look at these passages, we'll put them up on the screen, kind of go through them quickly. You'll begin to see a pattern developing in his life. First one on the screen for you, Luke chapter five, verse 16. But Jesus himself would often slip where? Away to the wilderness and pray. Luke chapter six, verse 12. Now it was at this time that he went off to a mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer with God. Matthew 14, verse 23, after he had sent the crowds away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray, and when it was evening, he was there alone. Mark 6, verse 46, and after saying goodbye to them, he left for the mountain to pray. And Mark chapter 1, verse 35, and in the early morning, while it was still dark, Those night owls that are in the room that don't like mornings, you don't like this passage. Early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and prayed there for a time. Notice in Jesus' prayer life, he's continually doing two things. Seeking solitude away from everybody else and finding a place of prayer and communion with his Father. Jesus would either be found on the mountain or in the wilderness, communing with his father. And you think, hey, it's Texas. We don't have mountains. Praise the Lord, we have a wilderness, right? No? Okay. Jesus would get away and find a place where he and his father could commune. For him, it was 
perhaps a secret place. I bet there were places that he would slip off to that he perhaps didn't want other people to know about so that he, he and his father could have that time. It was a sacred place, a sacred place of trust. Remember last week, look at a story where Jesus was off praying and his disciples didn't want to interrupt him. So they waited until after he was done to go up and say, Jesus, would you teach us to pray like that? Jesus would regularly get away from the distractions of the world and spend time in prayer with his father. Where we pray matters extremely to God. Matthew chapter six, verse five. The beginning of the Lord's prayer, an introduction, so to speak, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, and when you pray, again, assuming that we are going to, you are not to be like who? The hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so they will be seen by people. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. There were people who would make a public spectacle of prayer. That when they got up, remember last week we talked about a rabbi or a Pharisee teaching theology through prayer? They would get up and perform their prayers, waxing eloquently to God and espousing theology for the people. And Jesus says, when you pray, speaking to his disciples and those gathered in the Sermon on the Mount, do not be like the hypocrites, the people who wear masks, the actors, the one who just stand up and for performance pray, they'll be seen by people and they will receive their reward. But that is not what prayer is all about. If prayer is but public performance and a waxing eloquently with big words before God, then we should probably leave prayer up to the professionals, the people that are paid to do so, that we sit and like, oh, what a wonderful prayer that that person prayed in a public space. And Tony, you're good. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate you praying this morning. There's a, there's a story uh, that, that comes out of when our country was founded and, you know, our founding fathers gathering in the, the little room where they wrote our constitution. And there was a moment where the heaviness was sinking in and Benjamin Franklin, a man of faith himself, raises his hand to the group. You know, Thomas Jefferson's in there, and John Adams, everybody's in the room. And he says, maybe should, should we pause to pray? Just thinking about the enormity of what we're doing, we should probably seek God. And everyone around the table looked back at Ben and laughed. You know what the reason? Benjamin, we don't have money for a chaplain, the one who would be paid to pray in the room. That tells you something about what that group felt about prayer and perhaps what we can be fooled by when we leave the praying to the professionals. Jesus will tell a story in Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through 14, if you got your fingers there. Verse 10 in Luke chapter 18. Two men went to where? The temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and began praying this in regard to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Swindlers, crooked, adulterers, and even this tax collector we will find out is standing right next to him. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. This was a common prayer for Jewish leaders to pray. And this one is a little bit sanitized versus ones that we've seen written in history that a Pharisee would pray not only that he wasn't a sinner, but that he wasn't a woman. 
Think about that for a moment, the degradation, the place that prayer had got to. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to raise his eyes towards heaven, but was beating his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other one. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus says the power of prayer is found in the secret place, in the place where it's just you and God. The person who stands up before the group and proclaims loudly the performative prayer, they will get their reward. But Jesus commends the tax collector who can't even look up to heaven for the feeling that he has. And perhaps he brings his cloak around his face and his simple prayer is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Tyler Staten puts it this way in the book, praying like monks, living like fools. We have an appetite for spectacle. God has an appetite for new life. We can't resist public spectacle. God can't resist the secret labor of prayer. Performative prayer earns you nothing. God comes close in the secret place. Now, Hear me this morning. I don't want to condemn those who lead our congregation in congregational prayer. That is very important. What Jesus is speaking towards, however, is the motives behind the prayer. That the person who stands up in the public space, are they truly seeking God or are they looking for people to look, look at them well? Like that must be a very spiritual person because they pray very well in public. I would offer to you today that even when we stand up in a public space to play, Jesus' invitation is to the secret place, to the place where it's just you and God, and he and you are able to work out things beyond your wildest imaginations. Jesus offers his disciples, Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, an alternative to the performative prayer. He says, but as for you, In comparison with the Pharisee who we've just seen, when you pray, go into your inner room and close your door. Now we're going to split this verse in half. We're going to look at the first half first and the second half second. Did you follow on that? Was that that good? Okay. You're with me. I can feel it. When you pray, go into your inner room and close the door. Now think about who Jesus is speaking to at this time. It's a communal society. It's a place where you really don't have your own space. If you grew up with siblings, it was a luxury if you had your own room, probably. Uh, I heard a like, "Mm -hmm." mm-hmm, you must have roomed with with your uh, brother or sister, right? You didn't have your own space. Eh, Not today, not then. And to get away by yourself would take intentionality. And likely in the the single family dwelling in this kind of one room space, there would be a a, a corner or a carve out in the wall that would be left for what we would call a pantry, what they might call a storeroom. And Jesus says, what I want you to do when you pray is go into your pantry and shut the door. Now, for some of us, you know, walk-in pantry, like it makes sense, it's kind of comfy. Others of us will be kind of cramming ourselves into uh, like a little shelf and like you probably won't even get the door closed, right? Maybe your head is just kind of tucked in. Somebody this week is going to be asking you why you've closed the door on your head in your pantry, right? Probably wondering you're hungry. You're like, no, I'm just praying. Jesus says, go into your inner room, 
close the door. Shut out any distraction that would separate from your attention to the Father, who we will understand in a moment will meet you there. Find the secret place. Find the inner room where you and God can get together and be one. What Jesus is offering here is an invitation to seek solitude. Now, if we put solitude up on the screen and we can see seek solitude, right? And if you were to look in the thesaurus and you would likely find in a thesaurus isolation as a synonym to solitude, but those words couldn't be further apart. Perhaps what comes to mind when you think of solitude is a, let me separate myself from everybody else because I can't handle whatever's going on and I need to get away. That would be better understood as isolation. And we do this to one another regularly, whether physically we remove ourselves from a situation, I am isolating you out of my life, I'm isolating myself from you, or we do it mentally or emotionally, that I'm not gonna, there's the line in the sand and that's, that's how far this is gonna go. The main difference between solitude and isolation is isolation is running from something. Solitude is running towards something. Solitude takes intentionality. It's a pulling oneself away to seek someone else with a capital S. There's a group of people in the two and three hundreds AD, a couple year, hundred years after Jesus' life, known as the Desert Fathers and Mothers. Now, this group of people came to, to, to faith and the knowledge of Jesus in a time of incredible persecution and also an incredible influence of, of evil and sin in, in the Middle East. And what they decided to do, a couple of people, individuals, and a couple of people collectively said, where we are currently is not feeding us spiritually. We need to go to a place where we can be in solitude with God regularly and not be distracted by what the world has to offer. So these people literally went out into the desert and built communities that would grow into what we would call today monasteries. Have you heard of a monk? Comes to mind when you think of a monastery and monks. Om and like, you know, the cloaks and like the silence and you know, like bread and water or, you know, water and rice for like three years, whatever for your life. You, you don't have a lot. You set a whole bunch of things away and you commit yourself to just communing with God. These people thought so important to say, we are not going to live by the ways of the world. We are going to seek something higher. And they went for a life of solitude. Now, I'm not advocating everybody to move out to West Texas and, you know, we kind of seek solitude together and communal. It just uh, it sounds a little bit crazy, right? But what I will offer to you is this, to learn from that example that solitude is extremely important to our lives, to pull away from the world and get close to Jesus is what our lives are all about. And the only way that we can make it through is if we do just that. But there's a challenge when we in the secret place ourselves that the public performative action could get into our souls. There's two dangers in the secret place when it's just us and God. We can think about prayer in one of two ways. One, that prayer is me speaking to God. And let me tell God everything and then begin to work through my problems myself. And God turns into this really nice therapist who just listens and says, mm-hmm, okay, tell me more about that. Tell me more about that. 
and we come to our own conclusion about what we should do. That's danger number one. Danger number two is to think only about God instead of talking with him. And when we think about God and we talk about, think about his character and and, uh, who he is and meditate upon that, what we do is we turn God into a problem that needs to be solved. I don't understand this aspect of who God is. So let me ponder it just a little bit more and maybe I'll understand. I don't think God is asking us to understand him intellectually. What I think he's wanting us to do is to get with him relationally. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in in, uh, The Cost of Discipleship says this, it is even more pernicious. There's your $10 word for the day. It is even more pernicious if I turn myself into a spectator of my own prayer performance. What Jesus warns against is that What he's condemning on the outside, the public performative prayer, could get into your heart. And whether by talking things out yourself or just thinking about God, you have not truly prayed. You've only been in dialogue with someone that is yourself. Oftentimes we go to God with what we're what we're meeting for. We need something from you, God, instead of going and understanding who we've gone to meet. Jesus in Matthew chapter six, verse six, the second half says, pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The beautiful promise of this passage, when we seek the secret place, the inner room, the door closed, your head in the pantry, is that God is already there. God is already there. You're wondering how to get a closer connection with God? Find a secret place. You're wondering if the Father cares for you? Find an inner room. Find something. I, the image comes to mind as I'm talking about prayer, this, the stories of the women who would be at home with, with their, their children uh, today or many years ago and taking care of kids. Like we have a, a three-month-old at home. My, my time of silence and solitude is few and far between, right? We've got a nap, like we've got to sleep too. And maybe, just maybe, your secret place is pulling something over your head while everything is chaos around you. And for two minutes, saying, God, would you meet me here? There's a tantrum going on in the other room. The dishes need to be washed, whatever it is. God, would you meet me here in this secret place for just a few moments? And going on with the rest of life. Desire is to be in solitude with others. We desire not just to be alone, but to get alone with someone else. You can think in your mind when you were uh, perhaps uh, dating your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend, and maybe you've gone to visit family, or maybe you've been on the group date and really hoping for like a one-on-one date at some point, right? Could I just, could we just have a one-on-one, you know, and take your intended back home to meet family, and grandma wants to talk to him, and mom wants to talk to him, and dad, and brother, sister, and you spend the whole weekend with everybody but your significant other, Right? That's the feeling that God has when we run from the secret place. God wants to be with you in that space. Could we get alone for just a little bit? And the beautiful piece about prayer is that prayer draws us higher. Steps to Christ, a beautiful book by Ellen White. Page 92 says this, prayer does not bring God down to us, but brings us up to him. 
When you seek the secret place where your father is, you are drawn higher. Heaven touches earth, earth, earth touches heaven, and you are welcomed with a warm embrace. And the challenge sometimes when we come into relationship with God and we're praying is that we pray, 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 hoping for an answer. Remember the two dangers that we might slip into that we're either talking to God or thinking about him? The point of prayer is not to get an answer. The point of prayer is to be with God. Oswald Chambers in the book, My Utmost for His Highest says this, the meaning of prayer is that we get hold of God and not of the answer. We're praying for something over and over again. The answer that we long for could become an idol and God for us itself. God says, trust me with the outcome. Trust me with the answer. Get a hold of me with all you've got in prayer and trust me through the process. Prayer is about getting into the presence of God and he'll work everything else out. Some beautiful songs. If you're ever wondering what to pray, just open up the book of Psalms. There's 150 of them, and there's subdivisions of several of the chapters. Pick a psalm and let David pray for you and embrace that prayer. Two I want to look at today, just a few short verses. Psalm 31, verses 19 and 20. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have performed for those who take refuge in you before the sons of mankind. You hide them where? In the secret place of your presence. From the conspiracies of mankind, you keep them secretly in a shelter from the strife of tongues. In Psalm 91, verse one, one who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will lodge in the shadow of the Almighty. That's the power of the secret place. The place that Jesus invites his disciples to pray. So you're wondering, does it matter where we pray? Absolutely, but not necessarily the physical location. Where we pray should be in the inner room, in the secret place, the place that you and God get together and you bear your soul before him because he can handle it. And then you sit and you wait and you listen for God to respond. He wants to be with you and he wants to cover you with his wings in the secret place. So where do you pray? Where is that space for you where you and God get together on a regular basis? I've talked with many of you and you've told me about the places where your secret place is. I think about one living room with, with two chairs in it and you sit on one chair and you invite Jesus to sit down on the chair next to you and you commune with him, Bible open, ready to listen to what God has to say. There's someone else who, who walks at Elisa Carver Park. Now I just like segmented part of the congregation. You guys know who you are that are at Elisa Carver Park? You're gonna be wondering who's praying while you're walking over at Elisa Carver. Lap after lap, prayers ascend for your family, for your community, and those you see. Maybe you walk or run through the neighborhood. Uh, maybe you, you have a quiet moment at your desk before you begin the day. Wherever that space is for you, I invite you to get there as often as you can. To take moments throughout your day to get into the secret place with God. 
get where God already is, your Father who loves you, and spend that time. You will not regret it. There's a reformer who is quoted saying, on normal days, I spend three hours in prayer, and on really busy days, five. We need prayer. We need prayer. We need to be in the secret place with God. In the coming weeks, some of you noticed it on the way in, the, the map that's hanging out on the wall, that nice big map that's got like keen, like right in the middle, right? In the coming weeks, I'm gonna make an invitation for you to take a little pin. We don't have them today, but we'll have them next week. A little pin and, and put a mark at your secret place. If you want to be kind of vague about it and put it in the general vicinity, like that's cool. You don't want people to kind of line it up and be like, that's where that person is praying. But how powerful would it be to look at that map after several weeks as our community has come together and said, I'm praying here, I'm praying here, I'm praying there. And we look at that map and know that our entire county and area is bathed in prayer on a daily basis. That we as a community are getting together in the secret place with God. How powerful would that be? So stay tuned for that coming attraction. Last story, and then we have a song for you to finish. There's a professor by the name of Scott Cormode who uh, spoke at the Texas Conference pastor's meetings a few weeks ago. He's a professor from Fuller University. And he shared a story about a time in his life. Him and his wife are married. They have young kids at home, and his wife is diagnosed with a very serious case of cancer. It's not terminal, but it's almost. The doctor's walking around those words. And they've got a couple of young kids at home and Scott is just beside himself because he's like, I wanna pray for healing. I don't wanna pray for God's will to be done. I want her to be healed. And he shared with us that what transformed his life is every day he would walk out of his house. Silence and solitude for him were difficult. A couple of young kids at home. And he said, when I got in my car, before I put the keys in the ignition, put it in drive and go to work, I would sit for just a few moments and pray for my wife and for my family. And about all I could do was imagine my wife in my hands and lifting her up to God and saying, God, I don't want her to die. I want her to be healed. God, you gotta do something. I'm placing her in your hands. You do the miracle because I believe that you can. She was ultimately healed. It's a longer story than that, but she ultimately found healing. God is a miracle worker, and I invite you as often as you can to get in the secret place with that miracle worker. The Father in heaven who loves you, who desires to have a relationship with you, he can handle your mess. He can handle your junk. Whatever you throw at him, he's got you. All he invites you to do is come to the secret place with him. I'm excited to seek that with you. And excited to see where you pray in the coming weeks. Further up, further in.